0: The teams you care about.
1: We need to stop saying these are uncharacteristic Patriots mistakes. These are the Patriots now. These are not the Patriots of old. The stories
0: that matter to you.
1: The Red Sox were fourth worst in Major League Baseball in 2020 and got to the ALCS. That is a hell of a season.
0: This is your home. For New England sports.
1: What seven footers did Stony Brook bring in in the transfer portal? Which Duke transfers did they get? How is UVM picked second in this conference?
0: This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show here on a Tuesday night on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Full show tonight. We go up until 7 o'clock and then we turn it over to Game 6 of the World Series between the Astros and the Braves from Houston. Astros looking to stay alive. Braves looking for their first title since '90. We'll talk, as always, on this Tuesday with the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi, He'll be with me at 545. Talk about the team's win over the Chargers on Sunday. And then we'll hear some thoughts at about 615 from former UVM Hoops coach Tom Brennan and uh, got us some good takeaways from TB about the Catamounts and their exhibition win over St. Mike's. And we broke the news today. The Brady Farkas Show broke the news today that Thomas Murphy, the kid that the Cats got last year from Northeastern is a transfer, he has left the program. So we uh, kind of got some thoughts on what is now a big question for this program as we are now just you know a little less than 2 weeks away from the season opener. So a full interview with TB and Bob Sosi will be available on the Brady Farkas show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You'll hear from Bob, you'll hear from TB throughout the show today. You can also get in on the Napa Morrisville Napa Waterbury text line. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Everybody, Lego Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. I think Sunday was a statement win for the Patriots, but it's not... A statement win in the usual way that we think of it, and what I mean is this: I was listening to a little bit of WEEI last night, and our friend Mutt was on. Mutt, you know, we heard all year, Red Sox pre and post game show host. Well, when the Red Sox aren't playing, Mutt does a show himself from 6 p.m. until 10 p.m. So he was—he said this about the Red Sox, or about—I'm sorry—about the Patriots. And I called yesterday's game right after it ended, whatever it was, before you know trick or treating was over for most people here. In Massachusetts, like that was a statement win, and we use that word way too much. I totally understand that. It's an overused cliche in sports talk, radio, and sports in general. I think, first off, Mutt's right. We do overuse the term statement win in this business, but that aside, I think Sunday really was a statement win for New England, but maybe it's not a statement win as in putting the rest of the league on notice. I think it puts the Patriots on notice themselves. So when we think of a statement win, we think of a team that's announcing their presence to the rest of the league. I don't know that this win on Sunday was that, but I think this win was a statement in which the Patriots announced their presence and their possibilities to themselves. I think now, after that win, the players in that locker room see what they could potentially be, and they see what is potentially in front of them does the rest of the AFC or the rest of the NFL now fear the patriots just because they beat the chargers? Maybe. Maybe not. But I think these players now have a huge swell of confidence from that win cuz they have proven to themselves that they can compete. First off, now the patriots are at 4 and 4. And just being 500 again at the start of November, that matters it shows you that you're starting, you know, the almost second half of the season on an even footing. And being able to do that gives you hope. You don't feel like you're climbing uphill anymore. When you're 2 and 4, you're climbing uphill. When you're 3 and 4, you're climbing uphill. If they had lost to the Chargers and were 3 and 5, you would be climbing uphill. Now, you're on even footing and you're able to You know, play from a position of power rather than having to play from behind. The Patriots right now, believe it or not, they essentially control their own destiny. Now, I won't talk like that, you know, going into week nine for the most part. But the Patriots now have a degree of control over their own destiny. And when you are constantly playing from behind in the standings, you don't have that. That has to empower you if you are the Patriots to know you're not playing catch up now for the rest of the season. And you talk about gaining confidence and being able to play from, you know, a position of power that the Pats are. Well, they see the schedule in front of them. We see it as fans, and they see it too. Tennessee without Derrick Henry—that's a game you can win now. Cleveland, did you see the in-house turmoil today with Odell Beckham Jr. and the trade deadline? That team is injured. That team has questions at quarterback. That team now has a, a disgruntled wide receiver yet again in OBJ. That game is now winnable. Sam Darnold, I thought they were going to beat Carolina anyways, but if Darnold's hurt and McCaffrey doesn't play, they're really going to beat Carolina. That's a game that you can win. This team is got to be feeling its oats right now. I would. I'm feeling it as a fan. I'm excited about this Patriots team. I spent all offseason saying this team would be better with Cam Newton, and maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't, but right now, they're 4 and 4, and they are in a position now to go on a special kind of run. No, I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl. My position on that hasn't changed, but I never needed them to win the Super Bowl. This season was not going to be a success or failure based on whether or not the Pats brought home a championship. What they can do is get to the playoffs. And I always thought it was possible, but now it seems completely attainable. Sunday wasn't necessarily a statement to the rest of the league that we've arrived. Sunday was a statement to themselves that they could do it. Because this team on Sunday saw itself do a lot of things that it hasn't seen itself do before this season. Think about this. On Sunday, the Patriots saw themselves get a win against a quarterback that wasn't a rookie. This team hadn't done that. They'd beaten Zach Wilson, and they'd beaten Davis Mills, two rookies. On Sunday, they proved they could be a real quarterback who has experience. They could beat somebody who's established. And previously, they had failed against Tua. They failed against Jameis Winston. They had failed against Tom Brady. They had failed against Dak Prescott. This team did not fail this time. They beat a Pro Bowl quarterback on the road. That is a huge confidence builder for that coaching staff, for that defense. You talk about announcing your presence to yourself. Now that locker room can look at it and doesn't have to have questions because we've done it. We've gone on the road. We've gone 3,000 miles away. We've gone to a different time zone, and we have beaten a real quarterback, not a rookie. We have beaten somebody who's a Pro Bowl player not a rookie. That's huge. Two, the Patriots saw, they showed themselves that they could win the turnover battle with a good team, something that has really plagued them in all of their losses. Pat's turned it over late against Miami and lost. Turned it over a bunch against New Orleans and lost. Turned it over against Dallas and lost. Turned it over against Tampa and lost. Well, now they've shown that they can hold on to the ball and protect the ball themselves against a good team. And they've shown that they could take it away against a good team. And they've seen the formula in action now. Don't give it away and do take it away and you can win. And that now that formula is in their minds. That's important. They've done something on Sunday they had not done. Win the turnover battle against a good team. And finally, this also... This game on Sunday reinforced the idea that complementary football wins games. For so many teams around the league, do you know what the game plan is? For a ton of teams around the NFL, the game plan is just, hey, let's do whatever, and our quarterback will bail us out. That's what Kansas City does. Why do you think Kansas City is in trouble right now? Hey, we're going to be awful on defense. We're going to drop passes, and let's let Patrick Mahomes bail us out. Russell Wilson, we're not going to be able to block. We can't play defense. We can't stop anybody. But Russell, find a way to Houdini it out for Seattle. That's what teams do. That's a lot of teams' game plans. The Patriots showed on Sunday that they don't have to do that. Kicking game can be a weapon. Defense can be a weapon. Offense was not great, certainly, but they moved the ball well enough to put themselves in position to score a bunch of times. If Kendrick Bourne doesn't drop the ball in the red zone, they score two touchdowns at least there in the red zone. So complimentary football wins games, and the Patriots reinforced that idea because they saw it work. They didn't. They weren't awful in every phase, and then, eh, you know what, somebody will do it. No, cause they, they all did it. Sunday was a win about everybody. It wasn't just one person playing hero ball and saving the day, and I love that. Again, Sunday I don't think was a statement to the rest of the NFL. Do the Green Bay Packers fear the Patriots because they beat the Chargers? I would doubt it. Does Dallas fear the Patriots now because they beat the Chargers? I would doubt it. Does Buffalo now fear the Patriots because they beat the Chargers? Probably not. But it was a statement to themselves. And that at this point in the season, week eight, I think that is huge because for the first seven weeks, I think the Patriots, we had questions. You knew that they were going to have questions and they would never publicize them in the way that we do. But you knew when they're in that locker room, there were questions. Hey, are we really good enough this year? Man, can we beat anybody not named Zach Wilson or Mike White or Davis Mills? Can, Can we beat anybody who's good? Hey, we gave up 570 yards against Dallas. Can we stop a really good offense? Man, we don't throw the ball deep very much. Can we, you know, can we move the ball vertically down the field? They answered all of that on Sunday. Yes, they can throw the ball down the field. They did it to Nelson Aguilar. Yes, they can stop a good offense. They did it, quarters two through four. Yes, we can beat a good quarterback. Yes, we can go on the road. Yes, we can win in a, I wouldn't call LA a hostile environment, but we can win with a hostile road trip. 3,000 miles, change of time zones, that's not easy and the Pats did it all. That's a statement win to yourself. And I feel as good about the Patriots now as I have in months. As much as I love Cam, again, I don't know if this team would um I don't know if this team would be better record-wise with Cam. Maybe it would, maybe they'd be 2 and 6. I don't know, but I know that right now I feel better about this team than I have in months. Napa Morrisville Napa Waterbury text line 802 5853026. Uh, Travis says it's an understated win, but it is a decisive win. And that, oh, let's see. Mm, I don't get Travis's text. I think he's saying he would like a decisive win. Rather, you know, I don't know. I thought Sunday was pretty decisive. I know they got a different. Uh, I know they kind of got a garbage time touchdown at the end, but I felt like quarters two through four, I thought the Pats controlled that game. And if Bourne doesn't fumble to start the third quarter, they may really. Take control of that game. All right. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM, and FM at WDEVradio.com. Bob Sosi, voice of the Pats. He's going to be with us in about 60 seconds from now. I said yesterday I think the offense is becoming more complete. Does Bob get that same sense? And I've got an unheralded Patriot who's caught my eye. We get Bob's opinion on Miles Bryant. That's next on the Ready for show on WDE.
0: He's called the best of the Patriots past.
2: They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history.
0: But now it's time for these Patriots to bring a bright future to Foxborough.
2: To Myers on the crossing route, turns along the sideline, inside
0: the pylon.
2: Touchdown, Patriots. He takes the snap. He's looking over the middle, moves up, moves up. He's hit. The ball goes toward the corner of the end zone, picked off by J.C. Jackson. Oh. Here comes the rookie, Matt Jones. Welcome to
0: Fox It's the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi, on The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com.
1: Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on a Tuesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Com. Joining us now, as he does every single Tuesday at this time, is the voice of the Patriots. You hear him all season long right here on DEV. It's Bob Sosi. Bob, I decided that if I were, um, you know, between the ages of 7 and 10 and I had a best friend, we would have gone as Bob and So for Halloween. <laughs> is your friend taller or shorter than you? <laughs> he would have, well i guess i'm the tall one so i would have had to be zoe but we get a couple of headsets i get an old school pats jersey if i was between the ages of seven and ten bob and zoe would have been my halloween costume
2: (laughs) well you know um there's only one zoe and uh you know i think i'm probably easy to imitate in a lot of ways considering some of the people that i've been compared to in my lifetime but uh you know, I think your friend in that case probably would have been able to approximate or facsimilate uh, yours truly a little bit better than, than you would have gotten Zoe down. But I'm sure, you know, with a lot of screaming and yelling and uh, <laughs> fist bumping and, and who knows, maybe if you, you know, you imbibed a little bit before you went out <laughs>
1: trick-or-treating, then <laughs> you know, would have been just right. You know, speaking of people that, you know, imitatable and relatable to... Ian and Eagle was on the call on TV. I've always thought that you and I and Eagle sound a little bit the same. Does anybody ever tell you that or is that just a me thing?
2: <laughs> well, speaking of guys who look, like, you know, at least similar uh, you know, stature, eyeglasses, yeah. glasses, dark hair, he's got a far better sense of humor, he's a much better broadcaster. I mean, he's 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 got me in every way, including of course bank account working for CBS <laughs> uh, as opposed to, you know, I've got a great job and I have no complaints about the life that I lead as the Patriots broadcaster but you know I mean I just signed a new contract with CBS he's the best I, I if anybody ever made that comparison I would be completely blown away by it uh, you're the first to bring that up to mention that because I have such respect for him personally and professionally and quite honestly has uh, had a big influence on me mm. being the Patriots broadcaster uh, he's one of the guys that I really admire in our business more than any other, and the fact that I'm not alone. Uh, there are so many people that do what I do, even at this level, who will tell you the same thing, Brady. That there isn't a better guy in our business than Ian Eagle, and uh, for so many of us, he's been very helpful along the way.
1: Well, I, I've always thought that you and I sound alike, so I'm happy to be the first to uh, to bring that to you. Um, hey, the Pats are four and four. They've won two straight. I thought Sunday was a phenomenal win, and. Bob, I'm looking around the AFC. Unfortunate circumstances in Tennessee with the Derrick Henry injury. Cleveland right now doesn't appear to be as good as we thought. I think it's time for the Pats here to make a run in the playoffs. Uh, you know, They feel more attainable than they did two weeks ago. I feel very good about this team right now. How about you?
2: Well, I was asked a similar question earlier this morning on our flagship station morning show, and I joked that we got a sneak preview of SoFi Stadium last week. And, of course, mm, yes, yeah, anticipation Bowl. of the Super Bowl being there. I said it facetiously. Now, the Patriots had a good win. They needed a win over a quality opponent, and they got it, and they got it on the road. They had to overcome a number of the same issues that have been problematic, that have often spelled the difference between a potential win and an ultimate loss thus far. But I do think the picture of the AFC is so cloudy at this point. And in the Patriots' position, you mentioned the schedule ahead. And really, you look back on what it would look like two weeks ago before they were ready to play the Chargers the yeah. Chargers have going really well and then they lost going into a bye they were hammered by Baltimore uh, Cleveland was a team that was hot early on before they lost to the Chargers I think they had won three in a row and now Tennessee of course had become a, a hot team they beat the Bills uh, they were you know uh, very dominant in 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 in, the, in a couple of weeks stretch and now you mentioned uh, without Derrick Henry uh, going forward with the surgery for him you know they're a different team so the picture does look a lot different not only for the afc but in particular the path for the patriots but they still have a lot of things that they have to clean up including penalties two holding calls that nullify a first down run and a touchdown run uh, the red zone inefficiency early and it was just interesting to hear josh mcdaniels just saying his weekly uh, media conference zoom that he wished he had called things a little differently on the third and fourth and goal, yeah. to go from just outside the one and a half also, you look at the second half timeout issues, the Patriots lost a challenge because of some confusion about who a penalty was on. They lost a timeout because of a 12th defender. And again, more problems with defensive substitutions. And they lost another penalty as well at risk of a delay game. So this is a team that overcame some of the same mistakes they were not able to overcome in previous weeks. So I think you take a lot of uh, you know encouragement from that, but still going forward, they got to clean that stuff up if they are to be not only a a playoff contender per se, but a legitimate contender to make it into the playoffs and go deeper than the first round or two.
1: Bob Soce, voice of the Patriots, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You know, Keenan Allen wasn't impressed with the Patriots' defense, but I was. Um, This is a defense that gave up 570 yards a couple of weeks ago against Dallas. how, How the turnaround um you know arguably you know even more depleted than they were at that point why the why the big turnaround this week well i think a
2: couple of factors brady and you have to give the Dak prescott and the cowboys first of all tremendous credit i think they threw a lot of different things at prescott and he read all of it beautifully and he wasn't flustered by any of it which was a big difference than a couple of years earlier in the rain in foxborough prescott was sensational i think the matchup for the patriots in that game trying to defend against those particular you know, uh, receivers was almost too much to ask as often as they were asked to do it. Now, I think in the Chargers case, they confused Herbert. He talked after the game about seeing looks that they hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. And the Patriots showed a lot of man and then you know, rotated late into zone. They used a lot of cover too. I think while Allen and Williams are very talented, I just don't think that you know against those two there was the kind of challenge the Patriots faced when they were going up against CD lamb in particular for the Cowboys and even those other receivers the way they complemented one another uh, with the Patriots really you know playing a lot of different coverages and using more man in that game than they used against the Chargers but I think a lot of it too also had to, to do with the fact that the Cowboys presented that challenge of the running game they had not only Elliott Pollard and you yep. look at the Chargers you know, Eckler and and Jackson had pr- production running early, and in fact, at that touchdown run, I thought, oh, that's a bad sign for the Patriots. They had him stopped at the, you know, the line of scrimmage, and then he plows his way into the end zone, and I thought, wow. well, that's not going to look good. But they became more physical up front as the game went along, and that was a very positive sign.
1: You know, Miles Bryant is a guy that we haven't talked a lot about. Maybe you and I haven't talked about him at all this year. I remember him last year, I believe the Thursday night game, he had an interception yeah. off Jared Goff for the Rams, and that was kind of the only that's kind of my only memory of Miles Bryant. He's making a big impact since he's been up here from the practice squad the last couple of weeks and you know, now kinda of helping alleviate the loss of Jonathan Jones.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He's done a great job. And and we saw him in training camp play a lot of safety for them. And I think a lot of people were a bit surprised that he didn't make the initial 53 man roster just because of the versatility it showed. And you mentioned that interception last year, which really helped him to earn a lot more playing time down the stretch of the season. But he came into the camp, uh, you know, again, uh, being used a lot at safety and cornerback, showing some versatility. Uh, coaches raved about him, teammates raved about him, didn't make the team, assigned to the practice squad. And they have continued to rave about him and his work habits. You hear things like from cornerbacks coach Mike Pellegrino. He asks all the right questions from teammates. They completely have faith in him all the time. JC Jackson said that about Miles Bryant uh, the other day before the game against the Chargers. He's tough. He plays bigger than his size, the way he competes. He certainly hits harder than you would suspect of a a player. His stature, And I think, of a player in which he helped separate the ball from Keenan Allen in particular. And he has been a nice fit for the patriots trying to match up in that spot that jonathan jones occupied so well one of the problems they have though going forward again is they they still have a couple of cornerbacks who against bigger receivers you know really have their work cut out for them and jalen mills you know is one of those guys when he's playing on the outside especially but at least in miles Bryan, where he is defending right now for the most part he's in a spot that fits him well
1: the running game has been solid for the last couple of weeks We've seen Hunter Henry emerge as well. We saw Nikhil Harry get some good balls in the intermediate this week, and we saw a deep ball to Nelson Aguilar. It really feels like this offense is becoming more complete, at least in its ability to show different things. Do you get the same sense?
2: I do, Brady, and I think part of it starts up front. I think the move to put Ted Karras in the middle of the offensive line and to put uh, Mike Wenu out at right tackle has made a big difference for this team in the last couple of weeks. They've been able to pass protect. Uh, they've been able to block well in the running game, and Jakob Johnson has done a terrific job for right. them with that fullback lead in particular, especially in those tight spots. Damian Harris has become a very uh, uh, reliable touchdown maker of late. Now, this is a guy who's on a nice stretch, four straight games with rushing touchdowns, uh, back-to-back 100-yard games, and I think had the game plan been a little bit differently or the approach once they got in game. In that first half in particular, this past Sunday, Damian Harris probably was looking at a third, hundred yard day for him in a row Uh, so I think they are starting to fire on more cylinders if not all cylinders Johnny Smith didn't have as much of a role in this game in the passing game but I think we have seen enough from him the last couple weeks to be really encouraged by the potential moving forward Uh, Kendrick Bourne had the fumble but you know also early on came up with a big third down catch wide open on the rub play and uh, you know you you mentioned Aguilar with that deep ball that's that's great to see because uh, they got to get more out of Nelson Aguilar in that respect, and that was by far his longest catch as a Patriot.
1: Bob, I will get you out of here on this. You know, we kind of mentioned, you know, in a joking way, your relationship with Iron Eagle. Um, you meet a lot of people as a broadcaster. Um, I don't know if you had a personal relationship with Jerry Remy or if it just was like all of us as a fan. Um, just kind of wanted your thoughts on someone yeah. who loves baseball and someone who loves broadcasting on the passing of Jerry Remy this week.
2: Well, first of all, I didn't really know Jerry well. In fact, I had only one conversation with him. Uh, really, and that was at a Joe Andrewsie Foundation event several years ago. And, you know, he was very nice, and, and we talked for a little bit about uh, the Patriots in particular. And But I've heard so many great things about him through the years, even before he came to Boston. I have a lot of friends who are in the baseball scouting community. And I think this tells you a little bit about, you know, the way Jerry approached his job as a broadcaster, too. You know, they loved him, and mm. they spent a lot of time talking to him before games in the press dining room around the ballpark. He would ask them questions and they would ask him questions. And uh, there was a great relationship between a couple of people that I'm close to in particular Mm -hmm. and Jerry Remy. And, uh, you know, as a broadcaster, of course, uh, he became a regular companion for fans here. And uh, I watched him with Sean McDonough uh, when he started out as a Red Sox broadcaster. I certainly, of course, uh, heard so many games with him alongside Don Orsillo and and Dave O'Brien and and Eck, especially of late. And, uh, you know, that relationship between the baseball broadcaster and the baseball fan is different, I think, than any other sport because it's every day. It's a longer commitment of time and, and there really is that casual, conversant feel to the baseball broadcast. And I think fans really become attached to their baseball announcers in a way that they might not in other sports. I certainly appreciate, you know, people that, you know, have that feeling from Patriots radio broadcasts. But I think it's special in baseball in particular and Jerry Remy along with those partners enjoy that and of course he was a local kid uh, who grew up to be a Red Sox baseball player. Uh, You know he he went through so many struggles with cancer and of course so much else as well uh, which he wrote about and has talked about. I thought that the coverage in his passing has been you know really a a fitting tribute in some uh, to, to his legacy and just how much he meant to people here but also how much he meant uh, to the people that were closest to him his broadcast partners and teammates that played with him for the Red Sox.
1: Very well said and we certainly are all going to miss Jerry Remy come baseball season next season as part of the Red Sox broadcast and we'll miss him daily in several other ways as well. Bob Sosi voice of the Patriots with us every Tuesday Pat's four and four Pat's now looking to move above 500 as they take on the Panthers next Sunday so Bob we appreciate the time enjoy the game and we will talk to you again in seven days. All right, Brady.
2: Appreciate it.
1: Thanks. Absolutely. Always appreciate Bob Soce's time with us as well. And yeah, well said there on the passing of Jerry Remy. I'm excited to talk with Tom Karen of Nesson tomorrow. Certainly, someone who did have a very personal relationship with Jerry Remy. So we'll get some stories. We'll get some reaction about Jerry's life, and we'll talk about some, uh, you know, some baseball as well with the World Series. But TC with us tomorrow. So great stuff there with Bob. We'll take your text. We've got some text to get to. We'll react to it. We'll get back into Bob's interview in the 6 o'clock hour. But when we come back, this Enosburg-Winooski-Boys high school soccer game predictably went exactly the way we said it was going to go. That's next on WDEV.
0: Now it's back to the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com.
1: Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on this Tuesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio.com. Thanks to Bob Sosie, the voice of the New England Patriots, for stopping by. He does every single Tuesday during the season. His full interview available uh, on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Just search for the Brady Farkas Show. Our full conversation with former UVM Hoops coach Tom Brennan is also available uh, on the podcast channel as well. And You're going to hear from uh, some of the best of TV here in about five minutes. But uh, I do want to get to this. As we predicted last night, Winooski High School reversed course and ended up letting the press into today's controversial boys' soccer semi between Winooski and Enosburg. That game went off without a hitch at 3 o'clock. It was um, live-streamed, so anyone could watch it free of charge. The final score, Enosburg beat Winooski by a score of 3-2. to The final score is kind of immaterial to me. I was looking at it from the angle of why were the press originally not going to be allowed. But... Again, as we predicted, the decision was reversed. The press was allowed in. Fans were not allowed in. I do have to make one correction on yesterday. And 802-585-3026, that's the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line, I want to issue this mea culpa, this apology. Yesterday I was pretty heated about this story. And I blamed the VPA for coming up with the decision to not allow the media, and the fans. And I was fine with fans not going to enosburg Winooski. I was not okay with the media not being allowed in. And I blamed it on the VPA. Later it came out, I believe it was after the show that, that we first knew this, the VPA did not create this policy. It was Winooski as the host of the event. They were the ones who said, we don't want fans, we don't want the media. The VPA supported it, for which I still think is incredibly wrong and incredibly misguided. But they did not create it, which is what I said yesterday. So I will apologize for putting this policy on the VPA when it was really on Winooski High School and their administration. But I don't apologize for coming down hard on the VPA because they ultimately supported it when I think they should have said, "Uh uh-uh, we are not going to be behind this. So... But after the backlash created by, I mean, I doubt me personally, but by the Vermont Press Association and others that really kind of leaned on the school and on the VPA, the decision was rightly reversed. And again, we predicted that the opposing side here would cave, and they ultimately did. But I'm still mad at the VPA for endorsing this plan initially. I'm still mad at Winooski for... Suggesting this plan initially, this whole thing was wrong. Censoring the press is wrong, and censoring the press, especially who's the news media. Again, you know the whole thing about fake news and the media being bad. So much of that is rooted in media who are opinionists. Okay, you know when you talk. Here's the thing that gets me about the anti-media. Hey Brady, I hate the media because of Fox News. Brady, I hate the media because of CNN. Those people, those are talk shows. Okay? Tucker Carlson does a talk show. Uh, Wolf Anderson Cooper does a talk show. Okay? I do a talk show. I give opinions. Those people give opinions too. Again, I could sit here all day and tell you that Cam Newton is the best quarterback in the NFL. And I could pick out every stat that proves my point. That's what talk show people do. That's what Rush Limbaugh did. That's what, you know... Who are these people? Bill Riley. That's what these people do. Okay, so the whole, I hate the media because of those people. Those are opinionists. The news people from WCAX Sports and 2244 and NBC5 Sports were going to be kicked out. Those are news people. There's nothing wrong with those people. They should have always been allowed in. I'm glad that they ultimately were. It was garbage that Winooski suggested it. It was garbage Winooski didn't want him there. and It was garbage the VPA backed it up. The VPA should have nixed this plan because the VPA should want transparency in all this. They should have wanted, all along, an impartial voice at this game. Rather, they instead, they were allowing Winooski to essentially control the narrative or hide the truth. I don't know what Winooski was doing here. Winooski didn't want the media. Why? What are you trying to hide? What don't you want people to have the truth on? What don't you want to get out there? I I I didn't I I when I found out Winooski didn't want this, I was almost even more mad than I was yesterday when I thought it was the VPA that didn't want this. If what was happening the first time these two teams played allegedly, if it happened again today, the local media deserved to be there to tell that story. If the two sides engaged in great sportsmanship and nothing happened and it was a great story of reconciliation and resilience and the power of youth and what youth can do to bring two communities together and bridge the gap, then that story deserved, uh, deserved to be delivered as well. Winooski should have wanted those messages out there, and the VPA should have recognized the press was important to tell those stories, but also the news is the biggest champion of the VPA. We all know that high school sports in Vermont is not the end-all, be-all. And I don't mean from a skill standpoint. There's plenty of athletes here who are good. There's plenty of athletes in this state who care. But the state does not prop up sports in the way that other states do. The VPA is propped up by local news outlets. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about your local newspaper. I'm talking about your local television station, of which there are three of them, really, in this state, those are the biggest proponents for the VPA, and without them, the, the the stories of the VPA, of these athletes, of these communities, they don't get told. So to be shut out and to you know have been okay with shutting out the media was just completely wrong. I'm glad that the two sides reversed course. I'm glad that the game happened. I'm glad it was a good game. I'm sorry for Winooski parents and family that they didn't get to see the last game of their son's career in some cases if they were seniors. That's hard to you know, kind of hard to reconcile. But I'm glad the game went off. And by all accounts, from what I have seen on social media, there were no issues. Alex Abrami of the Burlington Free Press didn't have anything bad about it. Jack Fitzsimmons didn't have anything bad about it from WCIX. I, by all accounts, it went off well without a hitch. So It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com, 802-585-3026. That is the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. Okay, every Tuesday I have an opportunity to talk with Tom Brennan, TB, the former UVM Hoops coach, and again the full interview is available on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, but TB was sitting courtside as he always does for UVM Hoops games. He was there on Saturday for the Catamounts, St. Mike's. UVM won that first exhibition game 105-60 to and I got a, a couple of different thoughts from TB on the game and a couple of different takeaways. Isaiah Powell led UVM in scoring with 19 points the other day. Hit a couple of threes, had some rebounds, played with a physical presence, was kind of all over the place. Lays it off for Powell. Powell's layup good in the foul. Powell spins and fires a jumper and right now Isaiah Powell is fired up. Powell turns.
0: Jab, step, jumper, count it. Powell for three. Unstoppable in this first half.
1: So Powell played great. I asked TB about his play. Well, I, I just, I thought, great, honest to goodness for, uh, and, and I love this kid because I think uh, I think he's better than he's been. You know, it's a nice way of saying it. But, uh, but I thought he played with ultimate confidence. Ultimate confidence. I think that's huge. Isaiah Powell is now a senior. And in his junior year, he started every game last year, averaged nearly eight a game to go along with five, five rebounds. I have been, I wouldn't say hard on Isaiah Powell, but I have questioned Isaiah Powell. He's had games where he scores 12 and he looks very good. He's had games where he's shrunk and scored three, and it's been confusing trying to figure out his arc here. Um He's a guy who in his first year scored five points a game. The next year scored three points a game. Last year scored eight points a game. So he's never been a big scorer. But he's had games where he's looked great, and he's had games where he's looked not particularly good. So I've had questions about who the real Isaiah Powell is and if you can count on him. I think about Ryan Davis, I can count on him for UVM. I think about Ben Shungu, I can count on him for UVM. We're looking for, in the face of Steph Smith transferring, that third player that can be counted on. Is it Powell? Is it Justin Missoula I don't know. If this is the version of Isaiah Powell that we're going to get, then UVM is really, really good this year yet again. And they're going to be right near the top of the conference. If Powell isn't great, if this is not the real Isaiah Powell, and they're still searching for that third score, then... You know, maybe the, the, the second place ranking in the America East preseason poll is fair. I love what I saw and what I heard and what TB told me. I think Isaiah Powell playing with confidence is a huge part of his game. I think that, you know, he enjoys shooting, but I don't mean that in like a ball hogging way. He's somebody who's not afraid to take shots, but I think that at times he's looked a little nervy. Well, if he has that under control and knows now, hey, I'm a senior. This is my chance to shine, and I've got Davis, and I've got Shungu, and I can be the third guy, then UVM is in a great spot going into the season, which begins in two weeks. But if he's going to have some games where he's 14 points and looks like the best player on the floor, and he's going to have other, points or other games where he's two points and goes one for eight, that's a problem. They need him to be confident, and they need him to be consistent because – the whole season doesn't rely on the strength of Isaiah Powell, but this team needs that third option because teams are going to key on Davis. Teams are going to key on Shungu. They need that third guy. Who's that going to be? I mean, I think about a couple of years ago when I got here, it was Trey Bell Haynes. It was Peyton Henson. It was Anthony Lamb. You knew those three were going to be good. And then, Hey, by the way, Kurt Steidel for a while, Dre Wills for a while. Um, Then it was Ernie Duncan. There were a lot of guys that you could go to. I don't think UVM has that kind of scoring depth right now. Davis and Shungu, they have to do well every game. The third guy, you need somebody pretty consistently. And if that's Powell, UVM's in a good spot. But he can't be the roller coaster that he's been the last few years. He needs to be consistent, and maybe he went a long way towards showing that consistency, that potential consistency, on Saturday afternoon another t- takeaway that we had from TB was about Ben Shungu it's almost now uh like it's Shungu's game you know yeah. it's kind of neat he, he just just the way he walks the way he directs people I mean it's so neat to watch it Ben Shungu looks like the leader on the floor that comes right from TB and what TB tells me about UVM hoops I believe Ben Shungu I would say is the leader of this team Ryan Davis is maybe the best player he's a player of the conference, player of the year in the conference. Maybe he's the best player, but he's not particularly loud, and that's okay. You can be a leader in a lot of different ways. I don't think that Ben Shungu is <clears throat> necessarily particularly demonstrative on the floor, but he's a guy who brings energy, who brings intensity, who I think can kind of get into his teammates in a productive way. Ever since I've moved here, UVM has had good aggressive Point guards that were leaders. Trayvon Haynes was a leader, and I think that um, I think that Ben Shungu is a leader. I think he's absolutely the engine that stirs this team. What is it? The engine that drives this team. The straw straw that stirs the drink. That's what we're going for. He's the guy who makes this team go. I think he's going to be their their motor defensively on the perimeter. He's a great defender. He's a former Defensive Player of the Year in this league offensively, I think he's a guy who clearly is going to score double figures this year. He can get to the hoop. He's massively improved his outside shooting, and he's a community favorite. He's the leader of this team, and the fact that he's carrying himself that way, I think, one, I expect it, but two, it's good to hear he's delivering on it. The community loves him. The community wants him to do well. He can score. He can defend. He's a great rebounder for his size, and he just plays with an endless motor. He may not grab every headline this year, but he's going to be in the middle of everything for UVM. I remember, now this was two years ago. This is pre-pandemic. I was out at Patrick Gym. It was UVM against UNC Greensboro, and, and UVM lost this game by a couple of points, and I thought to myself, when Ben Shungu is in this game, it's a different team. When he's on the bench or if he's ever in foul trouble, this team is not as good. Ben Shungu is integral to what this team does. They need him to perform offensively. They need him to stay on the floor. And they need him to get them in good situations on offense. I think he's a good passer with good court vision. I think he's strong. He is my favorite player to watch on this team. And I think it's appropriate that he is the leader and that TB says, hey, I saw it. I saw that he's the leader with my own eyes. All right, last one. This is very interesting. This came down today, and it came into us exclusively. Nobody else had this yet, so we broke a little bit of news here on the Brady Farkas Show. Thomas Murphy, a big man who was on this team last year. Remember, he transferred in from Northeastern. He was a guy we had high hopes for. His brother played at the University of Florida. So Thomas Murphy, who is still listed on the UVM roster, 6'8, 230 pounds, he has left the program. So Thomas Murphy, 6'8, he has left the program. A guy who could shoot it from the outside. Remember, he had 17 points last year against Stony Brook in a big game in conference, had five threes. We expected, I think, a lot from him this year. To be kind of the, you know, the tandem big man with Ryan Davis. He has left the program. TB address that and kind of what now the biggest question is on this team.
2: Uh, God forbid anything happened to Davis or or we have a
1: um uh you know foul trouble uh you know with Murphy having left the team now that that leaves us and our other two big kids are hurt. Yeah, UVM is thin in the front court. Now this is a guard-driven league, so you can get by in the league without having dominant big man or big men rather. But you cannot play with the teams on UVM's schedule if you have no size. In the league, you could play run and gun, get up and down, be fast, and hit shots. You could do that in the America East. You cannot do that against the teams on their schedule. Northern Iowa is going to be big country boys on November 11. Maryland's going to have size. You're going to see Yale, which always has a post presence. You're going to see Providence, which is going to be big and athletic. All of that before you get to the league. If you are thin in the front court, that is a problem. Davis, he is a big body. He's also at times more of a perimeter player. Murphy's also a big body who likes to play on the perimeter, but 6'8 for rebounding and defense, you would have loved to have him. He is now gone. So this team, while I think it's good, it does have some questions. First question is the front court now. With Murphy gone, where is the size coming from? Where is the depth coming from? Again, you do have, um, you know, as I said, you do have Davis. We know about him, but for the rest of the size on this team, there's not a lot. Uh, George Lafever out of Canada. He's a guy who's six nine. He is a sophomore. He is developing. We're not sure what he is because we haven't really seen him. He's six nine. We're not really sure. There's nobody else above six eight on this team. So UVM is going to need to answer the questions about their front court. So that's an issue. Outside shooting is an issue. Who, Steph Smith's gone. Who's going to bring the ability to hit the three consistently? They hit 11 threes on Saturday against St. Mike's. Who hits them consistently in the course of a season? And then who's that third score? Maybe that's Powell. So maybe you got an answer to that on Saturday. But now front court question number one right at the top of the list. Where's the size? Where's the outside shooting? Who's the third scorer? Those are your three questions for UVM. We are nine days away. Nine days away from opening day. I can't believe it. I can't wait for it. It's going to be a very difficult non-conference slate. If you can win, you know, let's see, against, uh, you know, let's, let's identify the hard games again here. Northern Iowa, Maryland. Then you got Oakland. You got two more games in the Gulf Coast Showcase. UNC, Greensboro, then Providence, I don't know. That's probably seven games. If you can go three and four in those seven, huge accomplishment heading in towards conference play. And, you know, you got other games in there, too, that you should win. But in those games, if you go three and four, those could massively help you over the course of an NCAA tournament seeding, potentially. If you, you, But you could also very realistically go one and six because it's that good. Those questions I identified, they're going to have to get answered and quickly. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV. We do it every single day. Let's get to who's saying what.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? There was never a doubt in my mind that the Patriots would find a way to lose this game because that's what the Patriots do now. They really said that?
1: Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it.
0: It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. All
1: right, Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash, Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes beginning at $20 a month for a free car wash. The listeners just need to text VERMONT to 3,400. That's VERMONT to 3,400 so appreciate them for coming on and uh, who's saying what today belongs to Patriots quarterback Mac Jones So, Pat's quarterback Mac Jones has what he calls an improvement journal that he writes in after every single game and maybe after every practice, I'm not sure of that but definitely every game and uh, every week the guys on WEEI who he talks with, Lou Marloni, Christian Fourier, they ask him about it, this week here's what Mac Jones said was in his improvement journal. There's a lot
0: (laughs) Um, I think Improving my speed, just the timing and the passing game. Like, um, you know, I just need to improve that and know what I'm supposed to do with the ball in certain plays. And um, I just think it needs to be more consistent. And maybe will drills and things I can do to improve that. But um, at the end of the day, you know, we won and that's great and all. But you got to look at the what actually happened um, and how we can improve. And um, I don't think there's anything like dramatic or anything like that. But there just has to be a lot to improve for us to keep winning. And
1: You know, it's kind of become a bit in Mac Jones' W.E.I. interview, you know, hey, what's at Mac's Improvement Journal? But I got to say, I love that Mac Jones has an Improvement Journal. I think it's awesome because I said this a few weeks ago. Some of the best advice that I ever got in sports was there's never good or bad in a performance. Like, very rarely is our performance absolutely perfect or 100% awful. Very rarely is there anything in sports, and as far as the performance goes, that's completely absolute. So, I hate when somebody says, did you play good or bad? Well, there's things you can take on both sides. There's good and bad in every performance. and I love that Mac Jones is willing and has the ability to recognize both. You can take from both. And I appreciate that Mac Jones does. It's such a mature thing to do. I think so many people are quick to think, hey, just because we won or just because I scored a bunch or just because I had a good completion percentage that I played perfect. People are are very quick to think that they've arrived and get complacent. On the other side of things, people like me when I was playing are very quick to just beat themselves up and downplay everything that they do. And they're always looking for the negative, and they're never, ever satisfied. I like that Mac Jones has a very level head about him. This Improvement Journal, it might sound corny, but I think it's, I think it's perfect. He's showing the maturity to recognize what he does well, which you see on film, but also things that he knows he needs to get better at. He's never going to get complacent. I think there are times where Mac Jones is too hard on himself, but I think something like this is a very mature way of looking at performance. Writing down and studying what you've done well and what you might be deficient in and what are things that you want to work on and what are teaching points and learning points for you. I think that's great. Good people, smart people, they don't stop learning. And Mac Jones is a guy who's not going to stop learning. You know, J.D. Martinez got a ton of praise when he got to Boston, remember? I mean, he keeps a notebook. J.D. Martinez, Sox DH, keeps a a notebook on all of his at-bats and all the pitchers that he's faced, and we praised him for his study habits. Hey, J.D. loves video. Hey, J.D. writes in his notebook after every at-bat. This is the same thing. Mac Jones should be getting praise for this as well. The performance is very rarely good or bad. It's good and bad, and Mac Jones... Takes advantage of, of both situations and learns from both. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line 802 585 3026. Hey, one thing, speaking of JD Martinez, and the crew alerted this to me, you know, right now, I wanted to mention this. We've talked a lot about JD Martinez and whether or not he's going to opt in. He's got five days to opt in or opt out to his Red Sox contract, right? Once the World Series ends, if it ends tonight, J.D. Martinez has five days to opt in or opt out. 19 point, uh, 19.4-ish million dollars. We've all thought that J.D. was going to opt in because of the certainty that, you know, this is going to be an uncertain offseason. J.D. opting in would provide him some certainty, at least financially. Ken Rosenthal of the Athletics said he thinks J.D. is going to opt out. And that's really the first guy that I have seen speculate on that. Now, J.D., 286 this year, 28 home runs, tied for the major league lead in doubles. He had a good year. It was not great comparing him to what he was in 2018 and 19 when he got to Boston. If I were Martinez, I may opt out too. And I don't know... That JD's going to, I could certainly understand opting in because you're guaranteeing yourself the money. But I I I may opt out if I were JD Martinez. I think he's got a one-year $19 million deal here in Boston. He could get more money by opting out. He could get a two-year, $30 million deal. Two-year, $40 million, or two-year $35 million. You know, less annual dollars, but more overall money guaranteed. So that's one reason to opt out. Reason two to opt out is we're hearing a lot of chatter now, but the Red Sox may be trading J.D. Martinez. So do you want to, if you're going to get dealt, do you want to have no control over where you're going? At least if you opt out and sign with somebody, you have a degree of control. Do you want to be someone, do you want, just want to be a trade ship to the Red Sox? I mean, part of the reason of opting in, part of the benefit is, yeah, the secured money, but two, you like being in Boston. If there's no guarantee you're going to be in Boston, I may start to exert some real control over my situation and say, you know what? I'm going to opt out and I'm going to test the market and at least start to see where I want to be. Because if they're just going to trade me and they don't want me, then I have no reason to opt in other than money. I can go get money somewhere else. We're going to talk to Tom Caron about that tomorrow. So TC will be with us tomorrow um, at some point during the show. You know Freddie Coleman and TC, we always kind of go back and forth between what we're doing there with those two. Maybe we'll have them both on the air tomorrow. I'm not sure how we're going to handle it, but I want to talk to TC about JD Martinez, about the World Series, and about Jerry Remy as well. So uh, we'll get to TC tomorrow. Hey, the show is brought to you in part by ProDriver Training. Pro Driver Training is Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They're online at ProDriverCDL.com. And the owners of ProDriver Training were on uh, Vermont Viewpoint with Rick Sengary uh, late last week. So that was very, very cool to see. They've got facilities in Enosburg and Milton, Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They help you perf- uh, advance your career, Class A CDL licensing, Class B CDL licensing, Passengers training, advanced skill training, coursework, book work, all of it fused together to make a great career. So uh, ProDriverTrainingCDL.com. ProDriverCDL.com, rather. All right, Celtics lose just an absolutely horrific game yesterday to the Chicago Bulls. It's one thing to lose. It's another thing to show a complete lack of accountability. I'm looking at you. Jalen and Jason. We'll talk about that next on DEV.
0: Now it's back to the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. I'm
1: gonna tell you a story. I'm gonna tell you- Welcome back. Brady Farkas show here on this Tuesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio.com. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. They open 802-585-3026. Do you have a problem with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum ducking out on the media last night? Because I do. It's a bad look. It's a bad look for a pair of Celtic stars. Now, I'm going to be completely frank with you. I don't like to lie to the audience. I'm going to be completely frank with you. I did not watch the Celtics game last night. So I'm not going to talk to you about strategy, substitution patterns, shot selection. That wouldn't be fair. I would be lying to you. I'd be doing you a disservice there. Celtics had a 19-point lead. They lost to the Chicago Bulls by 14. There was a 33-point turnaround yesterday. That is embarrassing. Because I didn't watch it and I didn't see all the nuances of the game, I'm not going to talk to you about how that lead evaporated and then subsequently you get end up getting blown out. I'm not going to talk about that. What I am going to talk about is accountability. The Celtics didn't have it, and you need to have it. Celtics were outscored, by the way, in that game, 39-11 to 11 in the fourth quarter. 39-11. to 11. They were up 14 at the end of the third quarter and lost by 14. That is horrific. However, and it's the latest in a string of bad losses, by the way. They lost to Washington, a game which they led by like nine with two minutes to play, on Saturday and ended up losing that game in overtime, and it's been a disappointing season, two and five overall to start here. But more upsetting to me than the performance was the lack of accountability. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, declined to speak to the media after yesterday. You can't have that. You just can't. These guys are now in year five in Tatum's case and year six in Brown's case. They are now veterans. There aren't that many guys on this team who have more experience than Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They are the leaders of this team. Kyrie's gone. Kemba is gone. Al Horford is back. He helps in a leadership role, but he's not the best player. Your best players oftentimes, if they're veterans, need to be your biggest leaders. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum need to be that. They're experienced now. They're the highest-paid players on the team. They're the leading scorers on the roster. And in Tatum's case, he's an Olympic champion now. With those qualifiers come some some responsibilities and come some pretty significant ones. And one of them is that you address the media after horrific losses. And in this region, in Boston specifically, but in New England, the responsibilities that come with being a team leader, they're taken seriously. Why was Cam Newton appreciated by fans last year? I love Cam Newton. Part of the reason why is because he got up and he spoke after every game. And he spoke it honestly. He spoke it even when it hurt him. And he took it on the chin sometimes when he didn't even have to. After every pick, after every fumble, after every benching, he got up and he spoke and he wore it. And people liked Cam Newton for it so much so that some people wanted him to keep his job, like me, in part because he was so likable. Chris Sale is loved in this region. Why? Partly because, yeah, he's been great in the past, but he gets up there and he speaks it honestly. And if he goes seven innings of shutout baseball, he's there. And if he goes one inning and gives up seven, he's there. And in this region, just being there... And wearing it, good or bad, that's a huge quality to people in this region. And it endears athletes to you or to the fans. And when you shun those responsibilities, when you don't show up, when you run from problems, when you run from hard times, that's the quickest way to get this fan base to turn on you. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum should have already known that, but they need to learn it like last night. They needed to be there. They needed to be there. Alex Cora, accountability all season. Pretty easy for him to get back into good graces around not only Boston, but around baseball. He just wore it all year. Answered the questions, accepted responsibility, moved on. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum needed to have done the same thing. I didn't need to watch one second of that game to tell you that. There are bad losses every night in the NBA. There are teams that go on losing streaks every year in the NBA. There are teams that disappoint for a week or for a month in the NBA. That happens. We don't want it to, but it does. What can't happen is a lack of accountability. Marcus Smart's getting all the press this morning for what he said about how they handle the end-of-game shot selection. It never should have just been Marcus Smart having to address the media. The two highest paid players, the two best players, the two leading scorers, they needed to be there. And they weren't. The quickest way to get this fan base to turn on you is to duck the hard times. And they ducked him yesterday. Jalen Brown, he's a talker. He's a thinker. He's been universally praised for his leadership and for his you know, social justice initiatives. He should be praised for that stuff. He's great at speaking about off-the-court issues. He's a player rep. He's in the you know he's high up in the NBA player leadership group. He's clearly a talker. He's clearly a leader. He needs to do those things about on-court stuff as well. And I'm not mad at Brown or Tatum. More, I'm mad at them equally. You know, I'm not even mad. I'm disappointed. If this was a rookie, I might let you go. But you're in year five, Jason Tatum. You're in year six, Jalen Brown. This is what you need to do. This is the job. When you play for a team and you're the best player and you're making $100-plus plus million you need to address the media, and they didn't, and that was wrong. And again, I haven't said one word about this pass or that pass or this shot or that shot or this play or that play. I didn't watch one second last night. But I don't need to watch one second to tell you that leadership and accountability matters and it matters in this region more than most. And last night, those guys failed the test. Al Horford is a veteran presence. He's a leader. He shouldn't be the leader. Those guys should be the leaders. And last night they weren't there. And that's a problem. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, let's get to Crazy Twitter Takes. The internet, it's a really weird place.
0: Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it?
2: Yeah, they can't put anything on the internet that isn't true.
0: Where'd you hear that? The, the internet. internet. It's time for Crazy Twitter Takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
1: Doesn't anyone notice that? Crazy Pills! Alright, crazy Twitter takes comes from now a crazy Twitter takes repeater. Multiple time. Nick Wright, Fox Sports 1. What is he saying now about the Patriots? When there's a long list of reasons the Patriots won, Mac Jones' 50% completions in 200 yards is not on the list. But
0: Broussard, this was, if, we're, if Mac Jones has had some good games this year, this
1: wasn't one of them. They won because the defense was brilliant, the running game was excellent, and Jared Cook was studying a lot of film this week. Unfortunately, it was all the A.J. Green route in the end zone because that's what Jared Cook did on the game-changing pick six. So Nick Wright says that Mac Jones wasn't good and he won because everybody else around him was good. Newsflash, Nick Wright, that is what is supposed to happen. That That's the formula. With a rookie quarterback... You're supposed to win because everybody around you is supposed to lift you up. It's not supposed to be the other way. Mac Jones isn't supposed to be the guy who plays the best every single week. Sure, he wasn't great, but he deserves the same benefit of the doubt, growing pains that every rookie quarterback is afforded. The formula with a rookie quarterback is as follows. Don't screw up the game. And allow others to help you out. Well, Mac Jones didn't fumble the football on Sunday. Mac Jones didn't throw a pick. Mac Jones didn't fail to move the ball. Mac Jones did you know, a lot of things that we would accept from other rookies. But because he's on the Patriots, it's not good enough for you. If Zach Wilson just relied on his defense and relied on his running game, and didn't make the big mistake you'd praise him for his growth mac jones deserves the same thing the problem is that mac jones has played so well at times that he's now forced everybody to move the goalposts yet on sunday he looked like a rookie at times i'm aware of that i get it but the formula with a rookie quarterback is exactly what happened don't make the massive mistake and let everybody else lean on you quarterbacks are allowed to have help They're not just supposed to be lone wolves. Trevor Simeon has been in the league for a long time. If he's going to play quarterback for the Saints, we aren't going to ask him to go out and do it alone. We're going to ask him to lean on his defense, lean on his coaching staff, and lean on Alvin Kamara. That's exactly the equivalent of what Mac Jones did. It should be okay. It should be accepted. Geno Smith is not a rookie. Geno Smith is a seven-year veteran or something. When he's playing in Seattle, we don't ask him to do it all. We ask him to get the ball in the hands of his playmakers, get out of the way, lean on his run game. That's what we've asked him to do. That's essentially what Mac Jones did. Should be good enough. Cooper Rush on Sunday night. We didn't ask him to win the game single-handedly for the Cowboys. Lean on your defense. Lean on your run game. Get the ball to your playmakers. Don't screw it up. It's accepted for all of these longtime veteran backups why can't it be? Why can't it be okay for a rookie quarterback playing in that environment for the very first time? Mac Jones will tell you he wants to play better. We want Mac Jones to play better, but I don't expect the rookie to come out and throw for 320 every game and and drag everybody along with him. At times, the quarterback needs help. That's okay. Listen to what Baker Mayfield was the number one pick in the draft. Four years ago, Baker Mayfield, the number one pick in the draft. The Browns just lost to the Steelers. Here's what Mike Greenberg had to say about that. If you watched that game and you blame Baker Mayfield, then I question whether you have any idea what you're even seeing. Baker Mayfield did more things right than the guys around him did. Odell Beckham has become a non-factor. For a player of Odell Beckham's stature, you could forget he's out there. He threw a ball to Beckham yesterday that it would have been a tough catch, but he might have caught. And my first reaction was... Oh, yeah, he's on this team. Yeah, and Jarvis Landry dropped three passes and had a fumble. So we're saying Baker Mayfield, the number one pick in the draft, isn't getting enough help. If the number one pick in the draft needs help, then Mac Jones can have some help too. So it's good that he got it, and it's good that the Patriots have given him those kind of resources and that kind of help. He shouldn't have to do it alone. Nick Wright's crushing the Patriots and crushing Mac just because he plays for the Patriots. That's it. Nick Wright doesn't like the Patriots, and he's crushing Mac solely because of that. Mac Jones is a rookie. He deserves to be able to benefit from the same formula that rookies and backups have always been allowed to benefit from. Don't screw up. Don't make the big mistake. Rely on your defense. Rely on your special teams rely on your running game, and get out of the way. Mac Jones has played so well that he's forced everyone to move the goalposts at times, but he's still allowed to benefit from the same rookie stuff that every other rookie is able to. If Zach Wilson or or, or, uh, Trevor Lawrence did what Mac Jones did on Sunday, they'd be praised for their growth. Mac Jones deserves to, you know, it can come with a caveat, he didn't play as well as he has in the past this season, but he did enough. And he just didn't make the big mistake, which is what we ask of rookies. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Patriots don't make a move at the trade deadline. Why I think that was okay. That's next on DEV.
0: Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
1: All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas' show here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Reminder, World Series Baseball comes up about six minutes from now. We'll have the pregame show for you at 7. The first pitch is eight oh nine here on DEV. It's Luis Garcia for the Astros. If they win, they keep the season alive. If the Braves win, it'll end the season with the Braves' first title since 95. Max Fried is on the mound. I'll get you the lineups here. Momentarily, But the NFL trade deadline was today. The NFL trade deadline has been better in the last few years, but it's never as good as the NBA deadline or the MLB deadline. It's just the way it is. Von Miller moved yesterday. That was huge. Beyond that, we didn't see a lot of anything. Patriots didn't make any moves, and I'm okay with it. We wanted this team to be invested in. We talked about maybe getting another cornerback, but I also said I don't want to do it at – a massive expense. I don't want to do it, at a, at a, you know, at a good player or the expense of a great draft pick in the future. I did not want to do that. So the Pats didn't make any moves. Clearly, there weren't a lot of moves on the board for anybody. So I was fine with it. And I think the Patriots right now are good enough to get to the playoffs as presently constructed. Now, if they get injured, then that's certainly going to change things. But that would change things for any team in the league. Their true competitors didn't do anything either. It wasn't like they got lapped by you know, got lapped by the teams that they're battling with. Tennessee has lost Eric Henry, didn't do anything to add really. So they got worse. Cleveland held on to Odell Beckham Jr. and there's issues there. There's infighting. They're they're not any better today. In fact they might be worse by having kept Odell Beckham Jr. Buffalo didn't do anything to separate. The Raiders didn't do anything and now they've lost Henry Ruggs, what a tragic incident um, as well. If you didn't see this, Henry Ruggs, Raiders receiver, involved in a fatal crash. He is okay physically and is going to live, but uh, somebody in that crash did die, and uh, Henry Ruggs has been charged with DUI with death resulting. So from a Patriots standpoint, not even really to bring it back to football, but the teams around them are getting worse. Not a lot of teams in the AFC were getting better, so the fact that the Pats didn't do anything, it's not like they're being left behind the eight ball. So I would have liked them to make a move if there was a move to be made at a good price. just doesn't look like there was. So they didn't force anything, they didn't overreach, and the teams around them didn't do anything either. So I'm generally okay with it. All right, quick lineup check here for the World Series Game 6 for the Braves. Max Fried on the mound, Eddie Rosario's in left, Jorge Soler the DH, Freddie Freeman at first. Austin Riley at third, Adam Duvall in center, Jock Peterson in right, Ozzie Albis at second, Travis Darno is the catcher, Dansby Swanson at short, Luis Garcia pitches for the Stros, Altuve at second, Brantley in left, Correa at short, Alvarez the DH, Yuli Guriel is at first, Kyle Tucker in right, Alex Bregman at third, Jose Siri in center, Martin Maldonado is the catcher. Thanks to Tom Brennan for joining us. Thanks to Bob Sosi for joining us. Full interviews available On Apple Podcasts and Spotify, search for The Brady Farkas Show. Tom Karen, Freddie Coleman tomorrow on DEV.